Welcome along to another Know My Faith Monday podcast. My guest uh, this time is Daniel Woodhead from Schofield Seminary. Is it a seminary? Uh, Biblical the, Institute and Theological Biblical Seminary, yes. All right. You've got to get all the, got to get all the words in there to make it there right. There we go. We? Excellent. Yeah. All right. How are you? I'm doing fine, and I'm blessed to be on with you. At, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about other folks that are... Uh, uh, geared to the Lord for remembering the nation Israel. Like-minded uh, people. Amen, amen. It's such a blessing. As, as I think I've mentioned to you before, uh, when I first got saved and uh, I was reading the scriptures daily uh, and just going through them as much as I could, and uh, I could see the call of Abraham, the first Hebrew. I could see the promises to him. Uh, I could see that covenant. I could see it passed to his chosen son that he had yeah. when he was 100 years old. I could see his son, the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. The whole story was real easy for me to see just reading the Bible. See, I yeah. didn't know enough to twist the theology at that time. <laughs> see, I like the way you said that. That's yeah. just... <laughs> I was I wasn't I wasn't smart enough to realize that God didn't mean what he said. Exactly. I wasn't smart yeah. enough to realize that God didn't mean what he said. And I, you know, I start talking to people and people are looking at me like I have uh just missed something. Yeah. You know? And I didn't know about uh the twisting that came about in the mid 1800s and and uh the hatred for Israel that came out of the early church fathers and uh, you know, I was just dumb at that time. I was just reading the Bible. And uh, uh, since it, then, since then, obviously, uh, it's been one existence of pushing back against those heretical attitudes. Yeah. And, uh, I um, I narrated a book for Ariel Ministries, um, which was called Israel Betrayed by Dr. Andrew Jackson, I think was the, the author. Um, and it just it, it goes through right from the Justin Martyrs and and Augustine and all the way through how the church and we got to say it's it's you can say oh well that was the Catholic Church before the Reformation blah 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 no 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 the the Protestants continued it as well absolutely that that we have we have grown up um, putting Israel aside. Even even for those that that understand Israel, they're still in some ways putting Israel aside and replacing Israel with the church. Absolutely, absolutely. I have come across another book here. You may forsaking want to Israel. Forsaking how it happened? In, oh, yep. This is the most complete one that I've seen so far. It just came out. It's published by Cress. Uh, yep. Uh, about halfway through it. I'm going to use that in our introduction to Jewish studies course. I'm using another one now by Arthur Scarsoon called In the Shadow of the Temple. And uh, I was that was recommended to me by uh, Moish Rosen when he was still alive of uh, Founder of Jews for Jesus. And uh, yeah. that's an excellent book too. It's a description of the early church were all Jews. They were all Jews. The, the first eight to 10,000 Christians yes. were all Jews. Yes, absolutely. And you look at the book of Hebrews, it was written to tell those people, don't try and go back because of the persecution. There's nothing back there for you. Yeah. You know, it, 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 the Lord Jesus is who came for you. You know, I was on an ordination committee uh, at Tyndale Seminary in, in Fort Worth, Texas. 
and uh, we were listening to this guy's testimony and, and he was Jewish and uh, we asked him for his testimony, of course, you know, and uh, he said, you know, uh, I was a teacher at high school in New York and I started dating this woman, she's a Gentile. And, and he said, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, well, what, uh, what, you know, what religion are you? And she says, oh, he, she says, I, I uh, follow the Jewish Messiah. And he says, what? The Jewish Messiah? He hasn't come yet. She says, oh, really? This will be fun. <laughs> and that was part of That was how yeah. he began his testimony. And he said, uh, well, he's gosh. working at Ariel now. He's working for them. All right. Yeah. It's, you uh, preached a sermon, um, I think it was Easter Sunday, and it talked about the, uh, the separation uh, between the... Uh, part of it was the separation between the Gentile and the Jewish church, but you talked about ethnicities in together. I'm it's a couple of weeks ago now. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's very, to me, it's difficult. When we were in Israel, we spent a lot of time with uh, Kahila Haderik in Kamiel in, in the Galilee, and a lot of Russians are making Aliyah. Oh, my goodness, uh, yes. To, you know, well, I mean, there's a lot of people making Aliyah, but in the north, the, most of the Russians are going to the north. So in this congregation, you have uh, Israeli-born believers mm -hmm. who have their Israeli, call it ethnicity and ways, but you also mm -hmm. have the Russian believers, uh, some of whom have come out of the Orthodox Church, some of whom have come out of a, the, the, the other side. Right. And they're bringing their different styles of worship, which you know, when I'm when I'm looking because because people always go, well, you know, where's where's the white people in the black churches? Where's the where's the blacks in the Asian churches? And and I'm going, can we actually do that? Are, are we able to do that? You know that that's one thing that has bothered me forever. Uh, Ephesians chapter two says that the Jews and the Gentiles are now one. It's not what Israel thought was going to happen that the Gentiles would come into the Commonwealth of Israel. No, God has started a brand new body. Yep. That body was to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. It was to make a new unit for those Gentiles that didn't have the Mosaic Covenant, didn't have what Israel had, and to make the Jews jealous that they would want their Messiah. And uh, it has that effect. And unfortunately, the early church fathers, like you named several of them, had uh, done everything they could to turn Israel away. Because when the Gentiles came in, they came in in large measure because there was more yep. of them. And they started seeing, it was interesting, you read some of the things that Augustine had done, and he started seeing all these promises to Israel, and he didn't like it. I used to like Augustine. I read his confessions and I go, I like this guy. But then I found out more about him. I'm going, I don't think I like him so much anymore. No, he started off strong and then he got twisted. And uh, and I'll tell you the worst one. Uh, the worst one is uh, Luther. When he wrote yeah. his The Jews and Their Lies, that's what Hitler held up. And those state churches, those Lutheran churches, oh, my goodness. I, I don't know. Is, you know, the, is I, there any... Looking, looking prophetically, is there any way? Because I mean, it, it, it was wonderful for us as Gentiles to be in with uh, with Jewish believers. A bit difficult because you got the earpiece in because it was the, the service in Hebrew, so it's translated by somebody sure. who's just speaking quietly in the background in Hebrew, you know, in English. Um, <laughs> but it was great to do that. But I, I'm just wondering, prophetically, 
are we able to bring the two sides back together before the end? I, I don't see that happening. I, I don't see it happening either. And I'll tell you what I see is um, the sinful nature of me keeps us separated. It keeps the black people separated from the white people. It keeps the poor people separated from the rich people. Look what, the, look what James says. He's, he's criticizing the church for giving, or the leaders of the church for giving more deference to the rich people, giving them a better yep. seat. Give them, that's part of the sin nature, and I don't like it at all. Um, but I'll tell you what, people separate out by ages, by economic um, abilities by uh, color, by you know, and yep. I, I frankly I don't think so. Um, I don't think we're going to have any problem with it in the kingdom. When the kingdom, not in the there. no no in the kingdom, and, and we don't have any any problem in it in the small group. Right. Yeah. Small. That's group. the interesting thing because you get you get a small group in a Bible study, and it doesn't matter whether you are um, uh, Asian or Caucasian exactly. or African exactly. or Middle Eastern or whatever. You, you're just sitting there. So uh, I, you go, is the church structure the problem? I know you've seen this uh, because Don mentioned it to me when one of the discussions I had with him, but. Uh, one of the problems that you see in the quote messianic congregations is the Gentiles that do come into those, they're trying to become Jewish. Yeah. Instead of being a Gentile in a in a church that's run by Jesus, the Jewish Messiah. So okay, but we're never gonna be Jews. You can't become a Jew. And it bothers me to see people using a few Jewish terms. Uh, you know, to try and look Jewish, yeah, and uh, it's false. It 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 it, it doesn't fit. And uh, the worst part is, a lot of the Messianic congregations, at least here, I don't know about the ones in Israel. I'm only familiar with a few of them, like Dugat Mysteries and er, Mysteries yeah. and, and a couple other things. But um, a lot of them want to drag everybody back into the law. They're trying to drag people back into the law, and they're trying to get people to uh, eat kosher, yep. and uh, and do a few other Judaistic practices, uh, which are an anathema to the Lord because He was angry with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes for leading the people away from the Mosaic law and into yeah. the Talmud, for example, what would become the Talmud. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I was talking to somebody last night, um, just around the time of the Maccabees and the Hellenistic Jews. I mean, they brought up the the case of um, with Stephen, you know, when the Hellenistic widows were being uh, ignored in the daily ministrations. But the the whole thing with the Pharisees it grew out of the fact that these Jews in those days, these Israelites, were trying to be more worldly. And so they were, they were trying to bring them back to Torah, bring them back to the instructions to Absolutely. do things the way God told us to do. Absolutely. Um, but then the Pharisees turned into the Pharisees of Jesus's day, where everything became legalistic. And we, you know, oh, we were okay. talking just before we came on here um, about driving on for you driving on the right hand side of the road, and for me driving on the left. But you don't drive on the right hand side of the road because it's the law. You do it because you understand the truth of it. You understand the safety in obeying that law. Mm -hmm. 
and that's a, that's a huge difference um, between being that legalistic, Judaistic mindset. Uh, now, you just brought out a really interesting concept there uh, <clears throat> of uh, <laughs> uh, the law was given through angels from God to Moses. And uh, the law was violated severely. The Jews, therefore, <clears throat> after the Civil War and Rehoboam, Solomon's son, took Judah and Benjamin. And uh, the despot, heretic, Jeroboam the first of the ten tribes in the north and set up Ephraim. And you know the story with the golden yep. calf and all the stuff that they were doing up there. Well, God's had enough of them about 722 BC, and he brings the Assyrians in to take them out and takes them back to Assyria. Then he brings other people in, and those other people intermarry with the Jews, producing the Samaritans that have never been accepted by the Jews. Yep. So fast forward a little bit and you get 609 bc or so and uh the people in the south are not acting very well either now and uh especially after hezekiah's time you know it gets worse and worse yeah so uh the lord brings uh, nebuchadnezzar in after the battle of karshemesh about 609 and carts a few people away including daniel and michelle and asariah and uh yep. and his friends and uh they're going to train them in the ways of the Babylonians, and uh, they don't. They resist. They won't do it. That's it. They won't do it. So um, things are happening back in Israel that are not getting any better. And the Lord sends then Nebuchadnezzar back in 597. He carts away Ezekiel and a few others. Then he finally comes back in 586. He says, "I've had it. I've had it." Yep. Seventy years later, from about 520, or excuse me from 609 you get cyrus that is ordained as i'd mentioned to you earlier uh to uh go back and conquer the babylonians when he does it miraculously and he says to the people in israel or the israelis you guys can go back well there's yeah. only about just a little less than fifty thousand of them came back because these people have been there 70 years that's four generations or so you know, you, say, you can go back and they're thinking, well, go back where? This is, yeah, where this, this, is, this, is this is home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so they go back and that starts the clock ticking for what we call the second temple period. The temple starts to get rebuilt under Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and it takes a while because there's a lot of troublous times over there. People are opposing this, fighting with them and so on. So you've got this period of the times of the Gentiles that our Lord Jesus spoke of after the Babylonians of the Medes and the Persians. And uh, Ezra is big on the law. He's telling these people even that married Gentile women. That's right. Do you have to put them? your Gentile wife aside? Yep. Exactly. You've got to get pure. You have to get pure for the Lord. That went along just fine until Alexander conquered Jerusalem, and he didn't have to fight, you know, you know, there's probably no this story, yep. you know, it was, uh, he was welcomed in and shown in the book of Daniel where the Lord had written about him. But nevertheless, the Jews in the leadership roles embraced Hellenistic culture. And during that period of the Hellenistic period controlling 
um, Israel until the Roman period, what ended up happening was you got a, what I call a trifurcated view of the scriptures. You got the Sadducees coming to power saying one thing. You got the um, Pharisees saying something else. And you got the Essenes. The Essenes remained as pure as they could. And they couldn't even stand being in Jerusalem. They went down by the Dead yeah. Sea. And uh, they were the ones that uh, became the repositories for the scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, and all the pseudo-epigraphia and whatnot. But you got these three voices coming out from the Jewish leaders. If you're living there, you're thinking, wait a minute, well, it's, <laughs> it's like political parties here, when you got yeah. one God and you got one Bible. Isn't that similar to today? If you look at, I mean, if I look at the Sadducees, which are what a lot of people don't realize, and this is one of the reasons why we do need to do a little uh, study into that historical uh, cultural context of the scriptures, the this, this Sadducees didn't believe in the spiritual realm. Um, and if I use Rob Bell, and, and you can complain, Rob, if you like, but here's a man that's gone to say, well, no, there is no hell. <laughs> there's no, there's, you know, um, and so you've got these liberals that are taking the scriptures and going, no, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that, it means this. That's exactly the same as what we have today. You have the Pharisees, which are the, 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 the I suppose, the mainstream church in some ways. I'm not sure who the Essenes are. Maybe that's you and me. The Essenes stayed as pure as you could imagine. They just yeah. could, they couldn't stand what was going on in Jerusalem, and um, they believed the scriptures. If you've ever read any of the things that came out of these Dead Sea Scrolls, like the War Scroll, specifically the Temple Scroll, it's fascinating. It is just fascinating how they talked about what the perfect culture should be, honoring God and the Mosaic Law. Yeah. It's just fascinating. We never got there, though. <laughs> see, see the thing. The thing is, when you look at the, to, to me, when God gave the Mosaic law. Now we are not under the Mosaic law; we're under the law of right. Messiah. Right. Uh, and and Jewish believers are not under the law of Moses; they're under the law exactly. of Messiah. But even Paul says it does. He says that doesn't make the law of Moses wrong. Exactly. It's, it's, it's exactly. not an evil thing. There's nothing wrong with it. You're just no, not bound wrong. by it. Uh, and and I think and again two thousand years of separation of of not understanding the scriptures in that Jewish way we don't understand I mean God must be smacking his forehead going can you guys not see this Oh I I, I agree with you I agree with you it's terrible the way we've twisted this around and uh, taken what Israel was given. And just basically denied it and said, uh, these words don't mean what they say. Uh, every place you see Israel really means church. And you get heretics like this Rob Bell. He, he pastored an enormous church here yeah, yeah. in uh, Michigan uh, quite a few years ago. And uh, he was an absolute heretic. He was an absolute heretic. And he, the church he pastored used to be um, and I can't remember what its denomination was before, but that was a real loose group to begin with that yeah. uh, didn't believe. Well, even the name, the, the whole Mars Hill thing name, you know, out in the Acropolis with the Greeks and that Greek mindset and, and, and every idea is acceptable yeah. and everything. And, and in the modern church and the liberal church, almost every idea is acceptable. Oh, sure, sure. 
even if they contradict each other, it doesn't matter. That's your it, truth. That's, they that's call it. it. Yeah. Deny yeah. absolute I, I, um, truth. I, the, I met my what, wife in a, in a brethren church, um, and it's an open brethren church. And I learned what I say from uh, from them. I learned biblical whiplash. Because okay. you go to a brethren church and they go, okay, open up to the book of Jeremiah. Okay, now we're going to Hebrews. Now we'll go to Ezekiel. And now we're off to Mark. And you're, you're back and forth, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. But your, your message, your sermon has dozens of scriptures in it because that's Good. what it's about. Absolutely. It's not like the modern sermon where you get one scripture and then the Bible's put aside oh, no. and somebody talks for an hour. You know, I uh, maintain that... The reason that Paul says the law has such a value is because what God did, he chose these Jewish people to bring his oracles, as Paul said. And in those oracles, what he did is he took his moral order that he created for this universe and he packaged it in these practices. And he gave them all these things to do. For example, the weekly sacrifices, they were to cause the individual to realize his sinful nature and bring that sacrifice as a temporary atonement. But the whole purpose was realize that you were born in sin and are a sinful creature and you yeah. have to acquiesce that to God. And uh, of course, that became, uh, you know, I can only imagine, I know that some of them, the stories that I've read, it got so routine you know, that they would just say, okay, well, what do we got to do this week? What is it, two turtle doves or is it a cap or something? I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Just, just get it, just go get it done, get it done. Uh, it reminds me uh, once uh, in a previous career, I was doing some mergers and acquisitions and uh, I was on a merger in Philadelphia between two large utility companies. And there was a woman that was on this particular team of the merger with me and there was another lady on the team too, and she and I were both uh, born again believers. Yeah. And the other lady went to a uh, Roman church, and uh, she says to us one day, she says, "Well, how many, how much time do you have to go on Sunday?" And I said, "Have to go." And I looked at this other lady, and we looked at each other. I says, "I don't know. I'm there a couple hours." She says, "I got you beat. I only got to be there 47 minutes." All right. Yep. It was, it was this obligation that had nothing to do with learning, worshiping God, drawing closer to him. And that's what happened to a lot of the Jews. That's why they were carted out of their land. Well, it's Malachi, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, it's where God says, you know, you do this, it's, oh, dear, just, just find any old goat that's whatever. <laughs> Oh, try try giving that to your governor. But, you know, I, I like what you say. I did a Bible study years ago. We were looking at, uh, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast just recently, we were looking at Psalm 119, the, the great acrostic love song to the law of God. Mm -hmm. And you go, what's wrong with David's brain that he's writing a love song to the law of God? Um, and so then we looked into Leviticus, and what we got out of that was exactly what you said. Not, not necessarily... Um, using the term sinfulness, but our inability to reach the level that we would have to reach to have this relationship with God that he wants to have with us. And so what we got to at the end was, yes, understanding our sinfulness, 
but mostly understanding his grace Absolutely. in the cross. Absolutely. The, you know, his, his, for, I suppose for an Israelite, his grace originally, in that when I recognize my sinfulness, God says, yes, you can bring a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and I will cover and overlook your sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, And it's turning us towards God's grace. So if you ignore, to me, if you ignore the law completely, if you ignore all of that, you do not see God's grace as great as it is. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's there's a couple aspects of, of Vayikra, which is Leviticus, that I think are just fascinating. There was a Scottish commentator, uh, well, he must have lived 150 years ago plus, uh, Bonar, B-O-N-A-R, and he wrote a book called The Gospel in Leviticus, and it's just fascinating. Yeah. Very, very slowly went through Leviticus talking about the sacrifices and the kind of sins and whatnot. And I've maintained uh, that even in Christianity, we need to understand the law to see how God views certain sins, that some are worse than others. All sin is bad, but he categorizes them and punishes them in a different way, and some more severe than others. Yeah, and I think that to, to me, the ones that are most severely punished are the ones where where people, it's not just the sins, it's the ones where people misrepresent God. You, you look oh, at the sons yeah. of Eli when they were coming off with their flesh hooks and things, and people were going, I don't even want to go up and do a sacrifice yep, anymore. Yep, yep. And God's going, hang on, this is this is you and me getting together, yes, having yes. having our communion over a meal together, and you're yeah. you're preventing them. Yeah, it's it's the the the, the Catholic lady. Oh, I only have to go to church for forty seven minutes. That that's the attitude. I was like, I don't even want to go there anymore. Yeah, and God exactly. says, "You are in more trouble because you are misrepresenting me." That was Jesus got upset with the Pharisees. You are misrepresenting God. Absolutely, they did not know the scriptures. He made that really clear. And uh, I mean, it, it's terrible the number of false teachers that Israel had. The number we have. You know, that documentary hypothesis that I've mentioned to you that happened in the mid-1800s in the German universities there, when it got over here and it caused the apostasy in the big mainline denominations, and uh, it happened to the Presbyterians, it happened to the Methodists, the Episcopals, finally the Baptists start falling, and now you see just heresy all over the place in these uh, so-called Bible churches and community churches. It's just terrible. People will not, uh, they don't want what they call the rigidity of Christianity as it's given in the scripture. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, uh, I've had people say that about our seminary. I've had people say that they've read the doctrinal statement and they said, no, you're pretty narrow. I said, well, we are reflecting what the Bible says. I said, we teach the Bible as the apostles understood it. Yeah, and if you know the Bible and you can teach it and you can uh, argue from the Bible with apologetics, people aren't arguing with you, they're arguing with Scripture. Absolutely. One of our faculty, and then uh, I've been blessed to write a chapter in this book that uh, is coming up, he had a debate with a couple of guys that believe in... um, a, uh, that do not believe in eternal consciousness. That right. believe uh, annihilationism. Yeah, yeah, annihilationism. Yeah. There's nothing in the scripture to support that. So these guys that were his opponent in this debate, they went outside of scripture. 
And I, and I listened to that and I thought, this is a waste of time. I said, you know, I, what are you doing? I mean, you know, you're arguing against something that uh, is irrelevant. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely irrelevant, but that's what happens. You see, people think that the Bible is not in, inerrant and we're going to bring out other ideas that have import to them. You know, one of the things here I wanted to show you was, this is our flagship program here, Jewish Studies. Yep. At uh, Schofield Seminary. And uh, we, do you we do are, it online, Daniel? Well, the way we teach classes, yes. And uh, we've had so, folks. Mind you, from, everything's online nowadays, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had <laughs> folks from New Zealand and uh, Australia, and we've got some now from uh, Europe and yep. so on in South America. But <clears throat> everything we do is online. We prepare courses with a set of lectures that are recorded. We provide that and the books to the students, and then we meet with them like this once a week. It's a little yeah. difficult to try and engineer the time zones, <laughs> you know, so we can get together, but we do it. We pull everybody together and we uh, review the text of the material that they've been reading. We talk about the lectures, we answer any questions, and we spend uh, one to two hours with them once a week. Yeah. And that's that's how we conduct the seminary. And so far, it's been uh, it's been a blessing to us, and the students have enjoyed it. I think you had uh, there's one lady that's taking classes from us, uh, Nolene Jensen. Nolene, that yep. I believe has how uh, host hosted some of the uh, you know Israelis at time to time. Yes, yes. Nolene has a connection with us through that. Uh, one of the things that. Um, that a lot of people don't understand, and we'll use the probably the the bulk of our the rest of our time on this is the dispensations. Dis, when you say dispensationalism, uh, people sort of go, "What is that weird thing, and what does it mean?" Um, and th th part of that, I think, is also that there are different views on dispensationalism. In uh, it's interesting. It's an interesting subject because we do teach a course on dispensationalism. The first course I had at Tyndale Seminary when I started going there was from Dr. Fruchtenbaum, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, on dispensationalism. And uh, if you read the Bible cover to cover, you see in the beginning, and then you see Amen. The Bible has one long chronology in terms of time going through it, one mm -hmm. event after another. Now, the Old Testament books that are chronological are Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st uh, and 2nd Kings, Ezra, and Nehemiah. That's the whole chronology. All the other books of the Old Testament fit alongside of those Yes. Uh, for example, like, you know, you would look at Vaikra or, or Leviticus, and that would be right next to uh, Exodus, but it's not part of the timeline. There's no chronology going through there. And then you get into the New Testament, and you got a chronology through the book of Acts, and then you got the church age, and then you got the book of Revelation, you know, and that's the chronology. Well, as you look at that chronology, you see events happening. You see God dealing with mankind differently in each one of these sections of time, so to speak. For example, now that the church age is here, we're not under the law, the Mosaic law. You know, we're not waiting for a flood right now. Yep. Uh, the kingdom has not been realized physically yet. 
So you can see that God does different things at different times. The dispensational approach to the Bible is something that comes out of reading it, not imposed into it. And the dispensational approach to the Bible, as you can see, each, each of these different dispensations, that's what the Apostle Paul called them, a dispensation or an, an administration, if you will, yep, yep. koinomia <clears throat> in the Greek. And uh, these are ways that God has managed his creation. He usually has a particular person that he's working through. Adam, Moses, and so on, you know, through. Um, <clears throat> and he's got a charge that's given with the content of their faith in that particular dispensation. They will have a particular charge, if you will, or marching orders. And uh, every dispensation, there's been a failure. There's been now a new dispensation with a brand new uh, movement. Just look at the flood, you know. Yep. God was so witnessing to the world. We'll back up a little bit because I mean, to dispense is uh, it's it's got one of those words with a double meaning. If if, if I dispense with my old cell phone, I, I chuck it away. But also, um, you know, a chemist uh, dispenses your medicine to you. So he gives you medicine. So when we're talking with God, the, the, dis, the dispensers, he's giving something to mankind. What is he giving? This is a question that people ask. What, what's he he's, dispensing? He's, he wants people to come to him, first of all. That's the general call. The, his grace is available to everybody in every dispensation. In the dispensation, let's say, leading up to the flood, it's human government. He's going to let them run themselves. They didn't do a very good job of it. There's only eight people that survived that one. Yeah. And he's got the dispensation of the law. So he gives the law, and this is these practices wrapped around this uh, moral order. They blew that. Even Moses didn't make it into the promised land. Mm. Only Joshua and Caleb uh, he had them wandering for 38 years at the point of Kadesh Barnea before they even got into the promised land uh, because of their sin. They had the law. They saw God manifested. Moses saw him in the burning bush. They had this pillar of fire and this cloud that led them out of Egypt. And the cloud came They had the manna every day. Oh my goodness, it's incredible. They had the food every day, exactly. The manna, and, and here they're, they're still turning away from them. So it's like, he, how, how did you miss that? How did you miss that? It's exactly. So what he has done in that particular dispensation of the law, I gave you the law, I've shown you myself, now follow it. And they didn't in, bar, in large measure. Uh, that's how a dispensation goes. Now, now we're going to be careful here, Daniel, because what, what we can get to is is similar to the people that say that the, the cross was God's plan B or plan C. Oh, no, no, you know, oh, no. God, not, God it, intended man to, to live well, and we blew it, so he had to come down. We, we, we know that's not true. Not but with the dispensations, it's not like God gave the law and that didn't work, so now I need to give something else. No, 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 not at all. It, it is, think of God as being outside of time and space. He's not in the creation. He's outside of it. 
and he knows everything that's going to happen, but he's letting us see how we are. He's not making things different because this didn't work and that didn't. He knew they weren't going to work, but he lets us see our failures, our faults, and the judgment that he brings on us because it's us that need the Savior. He doesn't need a Savior. He doesn't even no. need the, us. This is his glory. No, he would, Genesis chapter three, the seed of the woman is going to come because that uh, our first parents violated God's law. Yep. And he set up the Savior right then. The Savior's not going to come for a long time. It's going to be several thousand years till the Savior comes. But God lets these different dispensations go on to let mankind see he can't do it without God, and he's sinful. Is it? Would we be better off? I mean, maybe dispensation is just not a good word for us in the 21st century. Uh, is it like a? Um, should we call it more a greater revelation of Himself and of and allowing us to see ourselves in different ways through these dispensations? Would that be one way of describing it? Yeah, that's one way of describing it. Certainly, it's 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 a uh, it's an ability that we he wants us to have to come to him through what he has revealed in each one of these dispensations. He's revealed himself in certain ways that are unmistakable. You know, I like to say when I'm giving messages at, at our church and I'm talking about this particular concept in some manner or another. I say, you know, we're just finishing up chapter 44 of the book of Isaiah, and I just finished, and I just finished chapter, uh, uh, chapter 45, verse 7, and I said, look at these last two verses here of 8 and 9. Look what he says. I am the God that created. I named the planets. I named the stars. I made you. I gave this gaseous envelope around this world for you to have to breathe. I gave you the sun, I gave you water, I gave, you know, and I said, I live right next to one of the biggest lakes in the world, it's Lake Michigan. Yeah, we, we like to call these freshwater oceans here. I said, you go down to the beach at night and look up. And uh, it, God has named every one of those stars. The creation speaks, it speaks, and people still ignore them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when the tribulation is on, and the people that are left here that buy into the Antichrist program, that yep. uh, fall in, in with that stuff, they are going to be shaking their fist at God for bringing these judgments. Knowing who's bringing them, they still hate them. That's the amazing thing is that they acknowledge that he is the God. Yeah, and I love yeah. it. I think, it's, I think it's in chapter 44, one of those verses where God is doing that. And he's going, uh, I'm the Lord. If I purpose it, who's going to stop me? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think to me that part of that is is where God's going. That you can trust me. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing when we're talking about the Israelites traveling around the uh, the wilderness, it's God says that you know, they they didn't enter that generation, didn't enter the promised land through unbelief and through disobedience. The disobedience came because they didn't believe God enough. And, exactly. and in Isaiah, those exactly. verses, he's going, he said, I'm, I'm the one that created the universe, that I named the stars. Your very breath comes from me. Exactly, exactly. You can trust me. I, I want this relationship with you. But again, it's like, it's got to be done my way. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's interesting is one of the uh, terminologies that's used in the book of Acts for the uh, characteristics of unbelief is scales on eyes. So, yep. so our, our it's like your vision is impaired to not see God or not realize Him, and uh, He's here. He hasn't gone away. The general revelation that's here is uh, makes it so obvious, and the special revelation of Jesus coming on this earth. You know, I I, <clears throat> I don't know if you're aware of this or not. You probably are, but for the first three hundred years of the Church Age. Nobody denied the resurrection. And you look at the book of Acts, the Jewish leaders, they weren't trying to deny the resurrection. They knew what happened. <clears throat> they were trying to keep, <clears throat> excuse me, they were trying to keep people from following him, from yeah. following the faith. And uh, it, it took about 300 plus years before people started looking back and saying, oh, that couldn't have happened. You know, yeah, come on, uh, you know. I was just reading in Mark where where it says of Pilate, he says when he realized that the Jews had handed Jesus over for jealousy, and when you when you look at that, the 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 fad, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, he said it wasn't that they didn't actually believe; it's that they they didn't want to give up what they had. Exactly, you know? exactly. They didn't realize that there was something better. Yeah, yeah. They, they want that, to be that's, that. Yeah, that's the crux even today. People don't want to give up their sins to uh, profess a faith in Christ because yep. they might have to stop doing whatever. That's right. And they, that, again, goes to those people talked about in the book of Revelation where they shake their fist at God. Right? They're fully acknowledging who he is. Uh, let's go back to the – I'll harp on about the dispensations. Seven dispensations, some say eight – yeah, what it, are it they? Depends. What are it the... depends. Uh, what, there's some uh, discussion about uh, well, the covenants and the dispensations kind of get mixed together, and it's we, we teach a course where both of those are are brought okay. in. And so if it, we it, go chronologically, which you were talking before, what are for those seven. that don't usually know, seven. what are the chronological? What are they? Usually seven, you know. Usually seven. It starts with the, uh, you know, creation, and you know, and then. Uh, You've got the human government, and you've got the Edenic, and uh, you've got the Mosaic, the Church Age. Uh, you know, the Church Age actually ends with the rapture, and uh, you've got the, uh, the, the, the law of grace covers the, all of them. I know there are some people that call this the age of grace, you know. Yeah, it's not. it always was. Yeah, it always was. It always was. And then you got the kingdom, and then you got the eternal order. Um, the, uh, you brought out something in an email to me that I think is important to touch on. And the dispensations are not something that we read into the Bible. It's just being aware of how God does things differently with his creation throughout the scripture. That's the important part of this. And seeing the covenants, the promises that he's made to Israel for the most part. Yep. And what he has promised, he will do always. The interesting thing that his, well, first of all, in our course on dispensationalism, we bring out a book, poor guy, he just passed too. I'm sorry to see him go, William Watson. He wrote a book on dispensationalism before Darby. Okay. Uh, Darby was a uh, Anglican uh, 
uh, priest, if you will, in, in Ireland, and he started writing about this dispensational approach to the Bible. He, For a moment, I thought you said he wrote the book before Darby, but what he wrote was dispensationalism before Darby. Dispensationalism before Darby, <laughs> yeah. right? And he wrote the book, and he said, look, this is a concept that's been around forever. It may not have been called that, but people recognized that read the Bible that there was God acting in different ways in the creation throughout the chronology. You know, we're not in the garden right now uh, in this blissful state, you know? yep. <laughs> for example, you know, anyway, it's, a, it's an excellent book, Dispensationalism Before Darby. And uh, what happens is these academic, and I, I hate to use this term, but the academic types in the bigger universities and the old dispensational schools have become that wanted to try and come up with something new. So they took the dispensation theology out of the Bible and they started moving it around to call it progressive dispensationalism, meaning that they took the theology and they started twisting it around instead of looking at the scriptures. When yep. they did that, they ended up back right with the liberals, blurring the distinction between Israel and the church, and looking at um, where Jesus is today, not sitting on the right hand of God the Father, judging the quick and the dead, but sitting on David's throne, which is what will be in the millennial kingdom, yeah. in Jerusalem, on the highest mountain of the world at that point in time. And, uh, and they've twisted it around. And, and again, it's, it was something new that was going to sell books and bring some accolades to their schools. It's a terrible philosophy. It really is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, you wonder, often when talking with some academics, but with a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and you go, do you ever read your Bible? Yeah, exactly. You know, do, do you under, and, and I say to people all the time, I say, look, if, you, if you've got the time, sit down and read a whole book in one go. Uh, Ecclesiastes is a great example of it. I mean, it, to me, Ecclesiastes is the, is the first TED talk it's the, it's, you know, and the greatest. It's one argument from start to finish. It's yep. not a series yep. of arguments. Yep. And so if you, if you take little bits of it bit by bit, you miss the whole point. It, it is not Solomon growing in his understanding. It's Solomon sitting back and looking back and, and making one full argument to which he gets to the end. He goes, here's the end of the matter. Fear God and obey his commandments. Yeah, end, end of TED Talk, cameras go off. And if you, if you don't read books, Ephesians, Galatians, whatever, in their entirety, you miss the actual message of it. And sure if you don't read the sure Bible constantly, you miss the... And this, to me, is where the, the academics and the liberals go wrong. They do. They do. Um, I'm going to email you a set of charts that we drew for a class professionally done on the dispensations and the covenants. They are, uh, they're very good, very professional. And uh, uh, Are you happy to make that, uh, for me to make that available to the people watching? Oh, listening? absolutely. absolutely. Yep. You could make it available to anybody. Everything okay. that we have, is, or that, you know, my YouTube channel and uh, the sermon audio and all this, I just do this for the world. You know, it's interesting. Dr. Couch, Mel Couch was my first mentor, real mentor, and, and Dr. Fruchtenbaum and a few others. And yep. 
um, I was asking him one day in class about uh, the copyright process. And he looked at me and he says, uh, don't even bother with it. He said, if somebody wants to steal your material, let them. Yeah. <laughs> get it out. Let it get out. <laughs> It's uh, a friend of mine in America, well, he's a Kiwi, Ray Comfort, who we spoke to a few weeks ago um, when he was turning out material originally for Living Waters and, and the copyright disclaimer at the bottom, it says, unauthorised uh, copying of this material is encouraged. <laughs> there you go. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Get the message out. Because, I mean, why do we copyright something? Because we're worried about my income. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because if, if, if you take what I've written and you give it away for free, I'm not making any money out of it. Well, I'm pretty sure my God's going to provide for me, so I don't need to worry I about that. I think so, too. I think so, too, my friend. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'll be happy to send those off, too. And you can yeah, no, that'll be great. Because there is so, there's so much misunderstanding. And again, we, we talk about, you know, dispensations. It's, a, it's an academic word. Yeah. You know, you talk to somebody about um, about their view on the end times. You know, uh, eschatology. Oh, what does that word mean? Oh, it just means end times. Well, okay. And you go, oh, you're a post-millennialist. Oh, am I? <laughs> or you're a pre-millennialist. Oh, am I? I didn't. Is there a word for that? Um, and I think that's what confuses so many people. Um, as I said before, my my wife has a very uncomplicated faith. Right? She's not a simple person. She has an uncomplicated faith. We were talking, uh, Daniel and I, talking earlier about um, the book of Isaiah, and, uh, and I was sitting reading a book on Isaiah that suggested that anywhere up to seven different people had written different parts. And Sharon simply said, well, what does it matter? God wanted it in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, proto-Isaiah, second Isaiah. <laughs> Uh, you, you academics are doing that to us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> they have. They have. <laughs> so what's, what's, what's next for you at the moment? You, you, you're looking at getting students back in, uh, coming yeah, did, in, or are you we, able to do just, that? Yeah, we'd just like to get more students, you know, and, uh, and we always want to spread the word and spread the, the truth of the scriptures, uh, the exact... Uh, specific nature of the nation Israel without yeah. watering it down or changing it. And I said, we send a missionary out too. you know, we got one that goes out there when he can. He's, he's really beside himself this past year. He just can't get over there. And, uh, and that's our flagship program, Jewish studies uh, following. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, a bunch of courses. I, I did three courses I put together on the second temple period alone. You know, when the Apostle Paul says that, uh, well, what value is there being a Jew? And he says, to them were given the oracles of God. That's yeah. not just the Old Testament. You read some of these pseudo-epigraphic works that the Essenes had. Wow. And it's not the Apocrypha. They're corrupted. But the yeah, yeah, pseudo-epigraphic yeah. works are wonderful support for the scriptures. Uh, you just, must get some students that come in that don't get it regarding Israel. Um, and they, they go through your studies. And it, it, what is, the, for you, and I've asked this of a few people, wh- what is the lights-on moment that you see in these students when they finally get it? They didn't realize the importance of Israel. They didn't realize fully that Jesus is Jewish. 
the scriptures were all written by Jewish people, that God chose that small group of people, Abraham or um, um, Jacob's family, that grew into what a million three or so in Egypt, yep. uh, that to bring his Messiah and to bring his Bible to this world. They didn't realize the importance because so many people read a little bit of Bible here, a little bit there, a little bit there. They don't, they don't read the whole thing and they read more about it, what other people say than they do the Bible. And, that's, and, and yeah, I, the, I've had these the, people say, well, yeah, but the, the Israel's over. I mean, the church has replaced it. Show me where you see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Well, because yeah, you it, can't it, get that from there. reading the Bible. You get that. You get that from other people interpreting it. Exactly. You know, and uh, if you look at Romans nine, ten, and eleven, it's pretty clear: Israel past, Israel present, Israel future. Where the Apostle Paul says to the church, "Don't be conceited." <laughs> Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness yes. of the Gentiles come in. Then all Israel will be saved. And they will yeah. have a national conversion at the leadership level down at the end of the tribulation. That's what brings the Lord Jesus back. That's when they finally say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Amen. Lord. When, uh, when we host. Yeah, so no, say it in Hebrew, go on. Baruch Hashem Adonai. <laughs> yeah. The... Um, uh, when we host Israeli travelers, and some of them ask, they go, why are you doing this? You know, why do you have us in your house for free? Or, or, or you know, I don't think we've charged anyone for a, a few years. We, we used to say $5 a night, but, you know, we just didn't charge them. Yeah. And they go, why are you doing this? And I say, well, from me as a Christian, I realize that I owe my eternal salvation to a man named Avram. I have a debt to the Jewish people. Um, and... As you say, it's, it's understanding that our salvation comes through the dispensation, I suppose, if, if you will, of the nation of Israel. The rise of the more modern dispensationalists at the end of the 1800s and the early 1900s, when uh, Dallas Seminary started, Philadelphia College of the Bible, and, you know, uh, Moody and Talbot and so on, these guys realized reading the scriptures in their entirety, seeing that chronological line through it, we have to start looking at these Jewish people. It's their Messiah. There were a bunch of Jewish missions that had started in the early part of the 20th yeah. century. It was just fascinating to see that, you know, fascinating. Well, anyway, All that's right. part of what we do. We just want to get that out. Uh, get that message out, yeah. Well, thank you for taking time uh, for for us today. I know a bit of a muck around at the beginning, but uh, if you're happy, we'll do this again, and maybe we'll get another couple anytime. couple of people on. We'll have a bit of a, a roundtable discussion. I'd be happy to do it any time about any topic. So it's a blessing. Excellent. God bless you. God bless you too.